0: Welcome to episode 133 of the terrible book club i'm paris and this is chris
1: still actively suffering
0: <laughs> yes you may remember from uh, our last episode two weeks ago that chris was sick well guess what he's still sick because this is uh paris and chris from the distant past same when recording ever...
1: session i haven't continued to be sick hopefully i've recovered by the time both of those episodes oh god
0: Yeah, if you're still sick a month from now when this episode comes out, I will be very concerned and we will probably have started a GoFundMe (laughs) at this point. So, because that's what you do in America. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, this time we read Young God by Catherine Faw Morris. This was published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux in 2014. Uh, Way back in 2015 when we first started the Terrible Book Club, a Twitter user named Ashley tweeted at us and requested we read this book, saying that it was a short story masquerading as a novel. And, you know, after languishing in the recommendations pile for nearly seven full years, we're finally reading it! We'll
1: get to your recommendations, people, eventually.
0: Yeah, and I, I know sometimes people might think that our that we have no strategy, but we actually do. We actually spend time curating the schedule for the year and making sure that it's varied... And has enough like serious stuff and fun stuff, and we're not just reading romance novels for five episodes in a row, you know. So, because we've we've made those mistakes in the past, and uh, so for the last couple of years, last I don't know three, four, five years, I think we've been, uh, you know, doing a more careful look at the schedule, planning everything in advance at the top of the year, etc. Anyhow, because of that, sometimes people recommend things, then we. Don't read them for years and years and years because, unfortunately, they just, like, haven't fit into that particular, I don't know, the particular constellation of books that we're tackling for this season. But, thankfully, we have finally arrived at Young God. So, th- Ashley, if you're still, still reading this, or still reading this, if you're still, I hope you're not still reading that book seven years later. Um, if you're, Ashley, if you're still listening to this show, hello, thank you. Uh, we we finally got there. All right. If this is your first time listening to the terrible book club, what we do here on this show is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover title summary or some combination of the three. Although sometimes like today, we read books that our patrons listeners or friends recommend. Uh, so we generally do the opposite of what most people do when they are in a bookstore or are on the internet browsing for something to read. And typically, this experiment results in a hilariously disappointing read. But once in a while, we do end up liking the book. Our content warnings for today. Um, so we've got, you know, our usual barnyard language. But uh, unfortunately, today's episode includes discussion or mention of nearly everything you could ever want a content warning for. So, uh-huh. like, this is as general. This is as general of a list as we can create without listing every single bad idea and unhealthy behavior in this book. So, be forewarned. Uh today's episode is going to include mention or discussion of child endangerment, drug use, for sex work, gore, murder, sexual assault, violence, and a general menagerie of the horrors of poverty uh in America. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a serious tough one today, folks. So if you're uh you're not in the mood for that, maybe find a different episode. Right, we have our back of the book summary. Um I've been talking a lot just because I know Chris is trying to preserve his sad, sick little voice. Um Chris, did you want to read the back sure. of the book summary?
1: Yeah, this is much shorter than the other summary I read last episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this is the summary like printed literally on the back of the book or, you know, given as the summary uh on the internet.
1: Meet Nikki. The most determined young woman in the North Carolina hills. Determined not to let deadbeats and dropouts set her future. Determined to use whatever tools she can get her hands on to shape the world to her will. Determined to preserve her family's domination of the local drug trade. Nikki is 13 years old. Opening with a deadly plunge from a high cliff into a tiny swimming hole, Young God refuses to slow down for a moment as it charts Nikki's battles against isolation and victimhood. Nikki may be young, but she's a fast learner, and soon, perhaps too soon, if in fact it's not too late, she knows exactly how to wield her powers over the people around her. The only thing slowing her down is the inheritance she's been promised but can't seem to find, buried somewhere deep in those hills and always just out of reach. With prose stripped down to its bare essence, brash and electrifying, brutal yet starkly beautiful, Catherine Faw Morris's Young God is a debut that demands your attention and won't be forgotten. Just like Nikki, who will cut you if you let that attention waver.
0: Thank you, Chris. Alright, so our characters in the setting, uh, as the summary tells us, our setting is the North Carolina like the rural area in the North Carolina Hills. Um, I don't think we ever get an exact town, uh, but you know that. Uh, our main character is Nikki, who is you know, 13 and already burnt out. Coy Hawkins, her father and drug dealer slash pimp. Angel, an underage sex worker under Coy's thumb, uh, who's also sort of his girlfriend, but he also pimps her out. You know, that classic combo. Uh, Wesley is a small-time criminal who was Nikki's mom's boyfriend before Nikki's mom died, uh, who wants to get in on the drug trade. There's Levy. Nikki's half cousin who lives with her grandma, generally seen outside riding his bike in circles. Uh well, Nikki's half cousin who lives with not really her grandma, but her I forget, her dad's stepmother, I think. So her like stepmother. Yeah, there's or a lot of like
1: very loose relations happening here.
0: Yeah. And then uh we also have a bunch of various side characters like Renee, Bubba, the Gorilla Pimp junior, etc, who are all sort of swirling in this vortex of shit that is Nikki's life. All right. And now we have sort of our own summary of major plot points and we do this so because we think it will probably help you understand our critique later in the show. All right. Nikki is a approximately 13-year-old girl who lives in a trailer park and has already lived through much of the struggles of poverty. One morning, her mother dies when she slips on some rocks near a swimming hole and hits her head. Nikki goes to her father, Koi Hawkins, since she knows he was one of the larger cocaine dealers in the area and possibly has money and resources. Nikki finds Koi living with Angel, another underage girl that she knows from the group home she was in before. Koi pimps out Angel as their only source of income. Koi has fallen off the drug trade, albeit only temporarily, and is still a user, and has no qualms about letting Angel and Nikki use as well. Nikki brings Renee, a girl she knew at the group home she stayed in for a while, to Koi as another girl to pimp out for higher prices since Renee is a virgin. Koi, however, rapes Renee and murders her when she tries to flee, and he gets Nikki to help dispose of the body. Once Koi sees Nikki is trying to get involved in his drug business and could be useful, Koi brings Nikki to a rival drug dealer's place in order to use her as a distraction while he robs the dealer. Koi uses the drugs and money he stole to get more drugs from another dealer in town uh, named Junior. Nippy. N- nippy. <laughs> Nikki begins to try and sell some of the stash herself when Koi is busy or indisposed from being high. Nikki quickly begins to manage her own way, robbing yet another drug dealer with minimal help from Wesley, her mom's former boyfriend. She uses the money to get her own drugs to sell from Junior and is able to buy herself things that she wants. She begins using some of the black tar heroin that Koi is selling and in the culmination of the novel murders Koi with his own gun, takes possession of his trailer and stash, and assumedly begins her own business as a drug dealer. You know what's funny, Chris? I don't remember that second, uh, that second, uh, Robbery remember that it's the one that she
1: does with wesley so she like kind of learns from the first one that coy involves her in and uh i forget exactly who she robs it might be the same guy actually
0: i don't think that that ever happened
1: (laughs) really she and wesley rob someone
0: i don't remember another robbery
1: do you remember the part where she like hits him over the head with a glass ashtray
0: She hits Wesley over the head with a glass ashtray.
1: Yeah, that's to steal the shit that they stole together. I don't like. She comes back to Wesley's place and like knocks him out to steal the rest of the shit. I don't
0: think. I don't think they robbed anyone else. She robs Wesley. Not she doesn't. She and Wesley don't rob. Yeah. um, Okay. So.
1: I did read this one while still being very sick, so this could perhaps be a brain fog moment. Sorry. Yeah,
0: I don't think that that happened. Um, Yeah, no. Um, He says, I know you robbed Lee Church. They get into, like, a... She accuses him of trying to cut her out by buying her stuff and then reselling it, and that's when she smashes it on Wesley's head and then he... She takes her, her, you know... She takes the, uh, the stuff and her mom's clothes, so.
1: Oh, well, sorry for mucking up the summary.
0: <sighs> it's okay. Um, And also to clarify, like, Koi doesn't... Koi uses her as a distraction, but she robs the dealer, like, with Koi. That she is as much a part of that robbery as he is. Um, True,
1: but, like, at at some moments during that robbery, she is convinced that she's about to get sexually assaulted.
0: You're thinking of a different situation so when they rob lee church she is like the distraction and then she goes and puts a gun in lee's face and says drugs and money like drugs and cash or whatever you're thinking of when they go and oh. when her her dad drags her to the gorilla pimp to like fuck him up for i don't know doing something i forget what i thought Koi
1: um, also robbed him at the same time instead of just like slicing his face
0: uh no i think all they had time to do is slice his face and run
1: Wow. So there's just so much fucked up stuff happening in this book that it blurred together in my very sick brain.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that is kind of it's kind of what this is all about.
1: It is kind of all blurred together on some level of just horrible thing after horrible thing that you barely have time to process before yeah. the next horrible thing happens.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's start with uh, things that were good about this book. Chris, let's take us take us away.
1: I mean, just getting back to the point I was trying to make, this book is like stumbling onto a horrifying video of someone dying on the internet. It's like gut-wrenching to read, and your morbid curiosity demands that you keep reading it, basically, and it, it, it's, it's. I mean, th- this is maybe also a point against it later on that, that I'm also going to bring up, but it's effective, right? Like, you kind of can't look away.
0: Yeah, I... You know, I'm really glad we read this book because you and I have such different perspectives on it.
1: Extremely different.
0: I feel such a kinship with this book because I feel like if I had made slightly different decisions, I could have been Nikki or Angel or Renee or any of these young girls in this book who are trapped in a cycle of violence and poverty, like... You know, I didn't grow up in the rural country, but I did grow up in a decaying post-industrial city that was once the heroin capital of the United States. Uh, And, you know, no, I didn't pimp out my friend or help dismember her after my pimp dad killed her, but I was exposed to a lot of, like, sex, drugs, and violence from when I was very little in an impoverished setting. And let me tell you, that shit fucks you up in exactly the way that Fa Morris describes. And reading this just felt really validating to me and my own experiences. And again, I just want to reiterate that like nothing quite this crazy ever happened to me, but um, I know a lot of people who stuff like this did happen to. uh, And I was just kind of, yeah, I just grew up in a kind of similar environment and there's a lot of parallels for me in this book. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just felt really different reading it.
1: I, you know, clearly saw that my own experience coming from honestly privilege, it colored my perception of this book in a lot of ways. And I tried to keep thinking about that as I wrote my notes for this book. I'm not exactly like, you know, I don't come from a super rich family, but you know, we had our own house. Um, Fucking
0: landowners.
1: Yeah. Like, no, but that's true though. Right? Like I have been in a land owning family ever since I was little, like we bought the house that I live in now when I was very young And it wasn't too hard to, you know, pay the mortgage and everything. Both my parents had steady work for the most part. And although we aren't exactly rolling in it, I do have plenty of advantages that separated me from a lot of the horrors that you would see in this book. I clearly remember. So here's a great example of my dad always threatening to send me to public school if I misbehaved. (laughs) With, like, all these threats of, like, oh, you'll get beat up all the time and it'll be so tough for you. I remember, like, when I was, like, 10 or 11, like, finally figuring out, like, what's so fucking bad about that? Plenty of kids go there and they're not dying all the time. You're the asshole here for making it seem like that's, like, the worst fate that could happen to you. I went to a private Catholic school in the neighborhood that I grew up in. And although that, you know, the Catholic school wasn't exactly, like, brimming with resources either – It was definitely insulated from a lot of the bad stuff that might have been happening in my neighborhood. My neighborhood wasn't even that bad, even though it was one of those places. I remember later on when I started like hanging out with like high school kids, my high school girlfriend, her mom sent a dude to like drive by my house because the neighborhood I lived in was like kind of notorious for being like, oh, that's where the bad stuff happens. Even though I was in the gentrified part and the part that is currently still gentrifying in a way so i don't that's, know i that's feel like so crazy so right crazy. like it's it's like all these fucking like nimby shits and like people that like have prejudge you based on where you live even if i wasn't anywhere near that shit so i don't know much like my disability experience i felt like i had a little bit of like half in half out with some of this stuff although i was definitely more into the privileged side of things than not being and that definitely colored my perception of reading this book and i'm I guess a little glad that you have a different perspective, although I'm not glad that you went through like probably more bullshit than I had to when you were growing up.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, but I agree. I'm glad that we both have different backgrounds to bring to this, the story. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say. Uh, I think it's hilarious that your dad threatened you with public school as a, right. as a 100% public school bitch myself. I can tell you that it's totally fine. Yeah, it
1: worked on me until like I was like in third grade, and then I realized, like, what's the problem? Like, why is that a threat? I I even remember a bunch of times going like, okay, so do it, and he would get, like, so mad about that, but he would get so mad about anything. It's probably the worst thing about my childhood was my dad, so, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, my parents, I remember, um, they, the one time that I was, like, sort of threatened in a similar way that was like related to school was I got my first um, B plus in a class and I was screamed at and told that I could never get another B again or I would have all of my music and my clothes taken away from me and I would never be allowed to leave the house again because yeah, that I could happened only to me get too. A's. I could only get A's and clearly... My clothing and music were the reason that I got a, oh no, a B plus in one class. (laughs) And I just, I just, yeah.
1: I got a D in a class one time in elementary school. And I remember the principal of the school telling me, don't show your report card to your father.
0: Because of that D. That is incredible. Did you get away with it? Weren't your parents like, where's your report card?
1: My mom saw it and signed it.
0: Oh yeah, that's a good trick the mom the mom is is the good one
1: is it a trick um, if the fucking principal of the school is like it's okay if you don't show your dad in fact, I recommend you do not
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ chris <laughs> anyway, like these are just sorry this we're just kind of going on a little bit, but um yeah, I don't know i I definitely. Even though, yeah, my parents wanted me to do well, clearly, it definitely uh, tipped the scale into into being uh, a not very unhealthy way to encourage your child. Um, and the reason they wanted me to do so well was because we did live in a really shitty environment that's, like, kind of similar to this. Um, you know, I didn't live in a trailer park in, like I said, in the rural hills, but I lived in a dilapidated, shitty town, you know? Uh, anyway... Let's move on to another good thing about this book, which is the writing.
1: In general, like the writing, I would say, is excellent, right? Yeah. It, it, it's minimal and straight to the point. In fact, like specifically Koi's character, he's very straight to the point. He's blunt and icy about the life that he leads in a just a straight up scary way. He's never like rationalizing what he does to, to anyone. Nope. He do, He's just like, you're going to do this. We're going to do this. Here's what's going to happen. And it's just so matter of fact and plain that it's he's probably one of the more scary characters I've read because he's not explaining shit to you. He's like, you're going to go in that hotel and make me some money. That's it.
0: Yeah, there's no there's no long villain monologue. There's no gray area like this guy just fucking sucks.
1: Nikki has a little bit of an inner monologue. We don't necessarily get her like, you know, straight up like italicized thoughts all the time, but it reads like someone who is only thinking about how to survive or ease the pain of living. Horrible things, as we said before, happen suddenly with little wind up and with little time to process after they happen before the next thing. Is going so, on. It's
0: almost like the actual experience of poverty. Right. And abuse. <laughs> yes. It's very, yeah, the way that the text is presented, I feel, really puts you in the mindset of someone who is in the scenario. You know, you have these like inexplicable time skips, uh, which I think is really kind of critical uh to understanding if you're trying to read a story about someone who is dealing with drug abuse um and and physical violence um and yeah god the writing was my favorite part i loved the writing the author does an excellent job of making you feel this this like awful rawness of a 13 year old trying to fit in with adults with the worst kinds of adults or you know adults with maybe not the greatest motives um and having her brain and body ravaged by the circumstances around her the best way I can describe it is the writing. It's, it's just like this distilled bleak acceptance of poverty and abuse. And I know that that's, you're like, why would you ever want to read that? But it's really well done. And it, I think it really gives you a very, <laughs> I, I hate, I don't know, like sort of accurate view of what it's like to live like that. Um, And I, I just pulled some excerpts that I'd like to read of the writing. Cause we thought it was really good. And so we wanted to share some of it with you. So you'd understand Um, Chris, would you like me to read these or do you want
1: to? I'll have you do it. I think, again, because you have maybe some tangential experience in here, maybe you could sell it a little bit better.
0: Oh, we'll see. The first couple of these are just a few sentences that are, you know, unrelated. I guess I could say example one. To her left, the mountains crawl like a slow blue animal. These are just their foothills. They're lumpy and green just really liked the idea that the mountains crawl like a slow blue animal. I just think that's perfect. Um, example two. She dreams of nothing, which is her favorite dream. and inside of her is a low buzz. And to me, that is just the perfect the perfect description of like being pleasantly drunk and having a really good sleep where you have no dreams. Uh, example three. Right now it's dark. The trees fly by as inky fringe. In Nikki's mind, there was a certain glittering blackness. And that's a great description of being high as fuck in a car at night. Yeah, like, right? I just, yeah. like, isn't it? It's like, fuck, uh, I don't know. When, I I, when that, we that say
1: it's minimal, it's not like there's no descriptive language, but it's very precise and to the point. Doesn't have to be flowery necessarily.
0: Yeah. Um. All right. These next three examples are a little bit longer. Uh, example four. Coke smells cold and chemical like the inside of a refrigerator. It's what back then smells like now, when she thinks about it. Nikki takes a drag off Coy Hawkins cool, and its blast of menthol is the best thing that's ever been in her mouth. The interstate reels out. Sign says 30 miles to Charlotte. Coy Hawkins has called somebody on his phone. It's not really dead. This time he's going to sell, Nikki thinks. She is giddy, and she can't feel her teeth. I just really like all of the sensory descriptions in that about yeah. how, like, you know, you, you she hates the smell of, of Coke, but then she takes a drag off this menthol cigarette and it just feels like the best thing that's ever been in her mouth. And then she realizes that she's, like, hyped up and she can't feel her fucking teeth anymore. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think it's perfect. All right. Um, all right. Example five. Square, the nail lady says. Nikki makes a face. Pointy, she says. The nail lady shakes the polish bottle. They're the only ones in here. The nail lady has a paper face mask, but Nikki does not. The fumes are suffocating only her. I want red instead, Nikki says. The nail lady puts down the hot pink. She winks at Nikki. (laughs) So grown up, she says. Nikki glares at her. With her new nails, it's hard to open peanut shells. She tosses a few on the floor. She's never had fake tips. She's never been here before. It's not so great. It's full of the same rednecks as everywhere else. She smokes a cigarette. She sits in the corner of a booth and scratches her punctured wound. Sweetie, you alright? She looks at the ash that's dropped on top of her steak and then up at the waitress. What? Nicky says. I just think it's a it was a really good little snippet of what happens when Nikki finally makes some money off of drugs and can get her nails done. And then she kind of realizes that, like, there's sort of a pain in the ass and that this steak restaurant that she had always wanted to go to, like, isn't actually as great as she thought it was. and She's just alone, like strung out. And like
1: even the shit she thought would be good, like the pinnacle of what she could get to with this resources, with these resources, it ain't even that good yeah
0: exactly okay last example number six she hates the smell of crack it makes her heart race it makes her nervous every five minutes it sneaks its burning plastic stink under the bathroom door back then she used to sing she hums to herself she fumbles with a balloon she almost rips off her new nails she can't do anything with them gunshots hunters it's okay she says later she sits in a ring of burnt foil She looks at her arms and legs. She's so pale, she thinks. Though it's summer still. I just really love how you get into the mind of, like, a child who's also a drug abuser and therefore has these, like, kind of disconnected thoughts. Um, I don't know. It just, to me, it seems, it just feels very real.
1: I agree, because, you know, not, not all of our inner monologues have clear associations and sometimes the associations we make only happen in our heads and it might be hard to explain it to other people, but I think that is some of the fun parts about reading books from particularly good authors is like seeing those connections made and like getting that new perspective.
0: Yeah, like for example, in that last that last snippet I read, there's a part where it's just gunshots, hunters. she's. She thinks to herself it's okay. And the first couple of times the gunshots hunters thing appeared in the book, I was like, I don't, what the fuck is that? And then I realized that when you're in the, like, when you're in a rural area and you hear gunshots, you have to make a split second decision of, like, is it just hunters or is it a rival drug dealer coming to fucking kill me? And so that's the calculation she's making when you see gunshots hunters Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the book. And it took me like by the second or th- by, like the third time, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> So I thought that was a that was a nice subtle mm-hmm. thing in the writing.
1: Okay, I mean, so while we're still hearing like the good parts about it, I this is one of those things where no one in the story is like a good person, and I mean, you take that how you will. Like, well,
0: I, except like the kid, yeah, Levy, the half-pubrin. Levy, he's
1: and like he's kind of too young to have had a chance to do anything really to he's yeah. experienced terrible things which is funny considering Nikki is barely 13 right and like that oh that's old enough though and yeah, she has done 13, some terrible shit
0: yeah like maybe approaching 14 at this point in the book again there's no concept of time um and yeah i think he's what like 10 yeah 9 or 10 yeah
1: and like when he all he can really do is like ride his bike outside like grandma's trailer because she's also strung out in the trailer.
0: Well, you know? but she has an actual illness, which is why she's strung out because she's been given fentanyl. Yeah. So yeah.
1: And but like, I mean, so morally great characters are usually more interesting to read, although a lot of people in here don't really they're more bad than gray we could say you know if you're looking at it from this outside perhaps privileged perspective of someone that doesn't have to consider these options to survive the point I i was trying to make it like that right there is like when you have to make these choices to even begin to claw your way out of the trap of poverty i can't really judge them that hard i wouldn't call nikki sympathetic but she also exudes this type of power that I haven't seen in any middle school aged girl characters I've ever read. She's like both frightened and monstrous. I mean, there's plenty of other characters that are pure victims, perhaps like Angel and Renee, especially Renee, right? Who just gets like. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's just brought to Koi and assaulted and murdered like within a couple of pages. And like. I don't know. It's just like these types of characters are compelling to me in that Koi isn't cartoonishly evil, he's just bad because he has to be. And I don't know if I have much of a broader point to make there, honestly.
0: Oh yeah, and I I was just going to say that I would would counter you a little bit and say that I would call Nikki sympathetic if If you are a person who has ever experienced any type of neglect or violence or abuse like this and you've had to make hard choices to survive with little to no information about what a different life could be, I think you might find some sympathy in Nikki. I mean, I certainly did because like you said, even though she does this monstrous shit, I mean, and what we mean there is, you know, bringing her friend to her dad to pimp out like that is fucking monstrous. But she's also a 13 year old who really only understands the currency of sex and drugs and has no one guiding her. I mean, it's, yeah, it is monstrous. I mean, she even like, we don't, we, we didn't talk about this in the summary, but she has sex with her mom's boyfriend after her mom dies. Um, and yeah, like awful. And then right at the end of the book, she tries to have sex with her dad. And her dad pushes her away, uh, and then that leads to her murdering him. So, yeah, she is a pretty fucking monstrous character, um, because you're just like, how could a 13-year-old be making these kinds of choices? But it's also like, well, because she's a 13-year-old with seemingly no guidance, I mean, you learn that she was in a group home for, we don't know really how long or when, but... It's not even like she. It seems like she hasn't even really had exposure to regular school, mm-hmm. you know. So like her her circle of of people and family is pretty closed. It's like a closed circuit, and it's and it's a pretty rotten one at that. So, I don't know. I I would find some sympathy in someone like that because we're, they've never even had the option to make a better choice.
1: And on some level, she's almost courageous, right? In that she almost refuses to be a victim?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I think, I I agree with what you're getting at. Yeah, that's, I think that's, like, the sort of, the level of power that you're, that you see in her. Um, And we're not saying that, like, we think this person is a great role model and, like, you should totally, like, idolize her. We're saying that there's a lot of nuance here and it's done kind of expertly in the text. Uh, and that level of nuance reflects the nuance that we experience in reality of being people. And the fact that this book is able to get that across in such a short, um, kind of like a, a sparse and short format is really incredible. Yeah, it took um, me like an
1: hour to do this, to read this whole thing. And maybe this is a good time to point out, like, that original tweet that we got seven years ago where the critique was, it's a short story masquerading as a novel. Kind of a weak critique.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, sure, it was kind of short, like, it, it's billed as being 208 pages, but... It's not, like, 208 full-fledged, you know, like, regular novel pages. It's kind of, like, spaced out and stuff. So I think in reality, this is maybe half that. It's maybe 100 and... I don't know, 175 or 150 pages or something. Um, oh, sorry. No, 100... I can't do math. Um, it's maybe, yeah, like, hundred and 110 pages or something. It is a very short book, but I don't... I wouldn't call it a short story... Like, it's still, I don't know, you know, it's a novella, maybe. It's definitely a short, on the shorter end, but yeah, I agree. I don't think that that critique by the person who recommended it to, it to us makes any sense. Um, but, anyhow, uh, I guess we can move along to things that were bad, and I think maybe we should start with um, where I was saying, like, it's billed is 208 pages, but, like, It's probably a lot less than that because the text is pretty large and there's like all this empty space. Uh, And I guess this is going to take us right into the things that were bad section. Chris, uh, go ahead. Well, like you said,
1: there's a lot of pages in this book that are maybe one sentence and then there's a lot of white space. I mean, I guess if you're reading like a printed version of the book for us, it was for me, it's like black space because I'm reading it on Kindle. and I use night mode for my eyes yeah but like and i'm not gonna say like nobody ever used this device but i don't know like if you're printing physical books with this it's kind of a waste of paper in a way and i feel like just adding a couple extra hits of like the return key would have a similar effect as to having like pure white space after one sentence and it could be maybe like my zoom settings as a blind guy
0: yeah, I think that your Zoom like size settings were maybe a factor because if any of you have ever used like the Kindle app or honestly any kind of e-reader, if you change the font or spacing size, it obviously affects like how much you see on a page. Um, and you know, we didn't have a physical copy of this, so I, I guess we don't really know if it was the same way in print. But yeah, I mean, some of the pages were pretty sparse with like a few lines on them, but I only saw a couple that just had one line. I agree that it's like a little bit of kind of a fucking unnecessary tease like I don't I agree with you I think that you know the author could have just left a few like a little bit of white space and not wasted like a whole ass page of paper <laughs> <laughs> just to add a dramatic pause like you know it it did seem a little overused I, I agree.
1: All right, and I guess then we can kind of get to, like, sort of perhaps
0: the major
1: critique that I had of this book. And again, this could be coming from a very privileged position is where this is coming from. And it's not even really a huge critique, but some of this kind of smacks of a kind of poverty horror porn. Writing the most fucked up situations imaginable for the sheer shock value and display of it, although I will never say that this type of stuff shouldn't be written about when it's a reality for plenty of people out there. But it's a question of, like, kind of where do you draw that line? Angel's mistreatment is, like, really horrendous to read about. Do I really need descriptions of child pornography on Koi's phone of Angel? And, you know, if there are children having sex in this story. That's kind of una- an unavoidable part of it. And it's, it's, like, hard to untangle what makes this book kind of a riveting read because of that shock value. I don't know how much it's adding or making me consider anything beyond like wow it's real fucked up and it's horrible that some folks have to live through this and again that's most likely my privilege showing. I and you know like when I try to think about it like what does this book have going for it outside of like that sheer shock value and like again the effectiveness of the writing and pr- the presentation for it. It's like, is that why the book is good? Is that why I think it's pretty good? Is just because I'm so like, wow, that's so messed up. And the way you presented it is an effective way of presenting messed up stuff. So that's, yeah, it's gonna, kind of a hard critique.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and mostly disagree with you or largely disagree with you on this point. Um I think that the descriptions of sex and abuse in this are not written in a way to make you lust after them or want to experience them. There's no like... You know, if we were in a movie, there's no gratuitous long shot on any of these moments. They're gross, uncomfortable, deeply sad, and infuriating, just like they are in real life.
1: I mean, hard agree with you there. Very much agree with you there.
0: Yeah, like, I don't think... the The only part of that point that I will agree with you on is, like, this does seem like a lot for one child to be experiencing in presumably a few months' time. It does seem like they really crammed in, like, hey, do you want to watch a 13-year-old experience literally every bad thing that could ever possibly happen to a-, to a 13-year-old in the span of a summer? You know, I I do feel like it was maybe, it was ratcheted up a little bit. Again, don't want to say that, you know, oh no, all of these things couldn't possibly, like yes, they do happen to people, like, something like this could, but... It did. It, it was a lot in the span of a summer, or even a part of a summer. We're not actually sure. We just know it's summer because when the book starts, Nikki's not in school. And when it ends, they're talking about maybe going back to school soon. So, like, at most, this is over yeah. three months. And at minimum, it's maybe a month or two. So it's a lot of fucked up shit crammed into a short period of time for one person to experience. It kind of reminds me of... Um, I I actually never saw uh, the movie Precious, but I remember reading a review and it was like someone who had read the book that it was based on and seen the film. And that's sort of what happened there too, where in the book, there are a bunch of these different stories in the story collection where like, you know, bad thing, you know, terrible things happen to people. Things are traumatic. But in the movie, they combined all of the traumatic things and had them happen to one person. Precious you know the the titular character, so I do agree with you on that, like I think the piling on of all this horrible traumatic shit does make it feel a little a little bit of like poverty pornish, which isn't great, but I still stick with my earlier disagreement on you uh uh with you of like <laughs> for like the ninety percent of it, i guess
1: <laughs> i and again I'm not even sure that that's a critique of this because i'm not saying like oh she shouldn't have wrote it this way or like it shouldn't be the way it's presented is the way i would like it to be presented and this kind of gets to my next point where like when i was reading this i had this thought of like am i letting this book off the hook for some stuff that we placed the claiming of sleeping beauty onto a hook for because in ann rice's work you know there was a whole lot of underage child sex happening there. And I think the major difference is that Anne Rice's work seemed to glorify sexual assault in that book. Yeah, Chris,
0: this is is, is very obviously different. Well, yeah, no, I... I, I
1: Definitely, but I just want to bring this comparison forward. Yeah, 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 fair. And it, like, you know, in that book, it's, like, supposed to be titillating and everything, and it Mm -hmm. lingers on that shit for that reason. But in this book... You know, It's kind of turning your head towards it to say like, hey, look at this fucked up shit. And it does not linger on it too long because it kind of has to just get right to the next thing because of that reason I said before where it's like it's kind of pr- not letting you process that last fucked up thing that happened because here comes another new horrifying thing, essentially. And I, just another point to context matters a lot in a creative work where we're ne- I'm never going to be one to say that this kind of writing should never exist in a book because it totally depends on the context you place it in. Totally depends on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I, I agree with you. Obviously, context matters a whole lot. Like, the lens through which we see something, you know, in a film or a book, of course, that makes all the difference. It gives you a totally different outcome, you know, if you change who the person is or what the, the lens is you're looking at something through. Um how I, I do want to I'm sorry I'm going to be a little nitpicky. I don't think that this book just puts things in it so you can look at it and go, "Oh wow, look how fucked up that is." I think it sh- shows you the things that that are really traumatic and imprint on the life of this 13-year-old girl and who really and and these things that really shape her um as we see the story go. And I don't know. I feel like they're all critical. Um, even the stuff that isn't there is critical. Like I said, the gaps in time and consciousness are all essential to understanding this character and really getting something out of this work. So uh, I don't know. But I know you also in the notes brought up um, like The Wire because that's another show. That's like another piece of media where the context really mattered
1: <laughs> you know.
0: Mm-hmm. um you you had to you know there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens in that show but like we're not the camera isn't like lingering on child sex abuse you know um
1: which happens in that show
0: yeah it does
1: and but. again i really think this is like my position of privilege Having this coloration on how I'm experiencing this book here and hearing you and your perspective, I'm inclined to sort of change my mind about things a little bit. Um, I read the reviews for this book and it seemed like a lot of the one star people had that critique of it. It's like, oh, it's just a bunch of horrible shit happening one after the other. This is a person just trying to write to be like gritty and edgy and like turn people's heads towards it. And I would disagree with that perspective on it where I don't think it's just for sheer shock value. I don't think it's just for sheer shock value.
0: I mean, yeah. And like, not everything has to be for you, you know, or for me, this is just a book that feels really for me and that I really liked. Uh, I was really surprised. I was not expecting to like this at all. I mean, like, like most of our episodes, you know, we generally end up not, I th- you know, maybe we don't hate the books, but we're like, eh, this wasn't that good. But I, I thought this was brilliant.
1: I would give I this think- as a recommendation to read if, like, you're looking to read something that is minimalist and brutal and straight to the point and a great example of that style of writing. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, I think the only, the last, like, critique or bad thing I really wanted to point out in this book is, like, so, again, you know, you're reading this book, and the book is very quickly shaping um, who this girl is and what the culture is in this area in, like, the rural foothills of the Carolinas. Um, and so a key component of that is racism and white supremacy. And overall, the book the book was, like, pretty subtle about it. There's one sentence where... Um, the main character say, is describing different parts of the town and says, like, oh, and this is where, like, people with money and the black people live and then Mexicans are everywhere now, you know? And that, honestly, that sentence is, like, enough for me to be like, oh, okay, I get it, you know? I didn't think it really needed to go further than that. But then much later in the story, there's a a scene where I think it's um, Renee, Angel, and... Renee Angel Coy and Nikki, like all of our kind of main characters in that part of the story, are playing a card game. And uh, the card game is called um, N-Word Indian. Uh, I'm not going to say that word because I'm a white person and I (laughs) know better. But um, both of those words, like I know some Native people are okay with being called Indian, but some aren't, you know. Most people want to be referred to as like Indigenous or native and then of course the n-word like just fuck off like why like no um but you know it's one of those scenes where i'm like well i know people in real life like white people in real life when they're by themselves fucking around like of course they're gonna say the n-word and like you know say racist shit but it didn't feel like it lent another dimension to the book that i i wasn't already aware of you know like that scene didn't really build on anything for me so it just felt like, and I thought to myself, I was like, if that scene was cut, I would feel exactly the same about this book. It just felt kind of useless to include. I, I guess they were just really trying to make sure you got the flavor of rural impoverished America mm-hmm. and that that includes some racism. But I don't know. I just I just felt like there were a couple of other lines about, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like it needed to be there. But again, I, it's fine. Fu- I'm not saying I'm not saying like, oh, no, a book dared to have the N-word. Oh, no. Like, I'm not saying I'm going to like call Tipper Gore about it or something. But <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm just saying that when uh, when an author or anyone who's creating media chooses to use really deep slurs like the N-word, um, you know, having having white people specifically use them, that there has to be a calculation there where the use of it. Is greater than not using it, and I feel like the it's pretty rare when that formula works yeah. out in that in that fashion. And that that's all I'm saying is that it, it has to be a careful usage, and the usage of it needs to outweigh, um, you know, how fucking offensive and garish those those terms can be. So, anyway, I just felt like this was, this was like kind of a borderline scenario where I'm like, well, you know. Yeah, it's like a mild to...
1: nitpick at best, right?
0: Exactly, exactly. I I'm just saying it was like kinda of borderline, but like I do I think that it was integral and necessary in the book? No, which is why I'm like, well, maybe you could have cut it. Um but the fact that it's in there, I mean no, you're just you're just showing us how these characters are and it it's only one scene. I think it I think the N word actually I think it's only in there once or twice in mm-hmm. on like a single page. Um Anyway, yeah, that's my it's my last tiny little critique. All right, Chris, um, if we have no other points, I think we can go into uh, can we fix it? The Can we fix it section?
1: Uh, I don't think it needs fixing. This book sets out. Uh, this book does what it sets out to do. Um, maybe less of like the white space stuff, but that's about it for me like this is either a thing that you really hate maybe because of like those reasons I set out before from like especially from a position of privilege or at best you just kind of feel gross after reading but that doesn't make it bad right art doesn't have to make you feel good all the time and right. i certainly felt gross after reading this but in a way that sat with me and i thought about and had an interesting discussion with you about which yeah if i make anything ever in my life that makes people do that mission accomplished as a creative.
0: Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a thinker and, a, and like a gut-wrencher. Um, and by less of that white space stuff, you just meant like the um, the big gaps in the text yeah. where like a chapter is a sentence or something. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah can, can we fix it? I mean, for me, I really liked this. And I honestly think that this book would have been a favorite of mine if it had come out when I was like a preteen or a teenager. Um, it was published in... I think 2014, so I would have been 25. So yeah, a little a little old, but even at even at 25, I would have liked this. Um, the writing style is is the thing I really love about it. It reminds me of like Palinik or or even John Darnielle who wrote Universal Harvester that we read for episode 96 back in 2020. I can see that. Um, yeah, I I'd recommend this if you're interested in a quick and emotionally wrenching glimpse into a fucked up life. I think if um. If you liked the book, My Sister the Serial Killer, you might like this too. Or if you liked the film, The Florida Project, I also think that um, this book might be for you. I feel like that was everything. We we did it.
1: Much like the book, it's a short, brief episode with straight to the point, And I think that's a good reflection of how we felt.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's time to thank the patrons. Thanks, Dari, Greg, Veronica, Will, Dee, Jared, Lynn, Senior, Jakub, Chorus, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Jay, Scott, G, Luchek, CTAP1, Miri, Yanka, David, Anya, Anonymous, Patricia, Austin, Donnie, Crimson Paladin, Callum, Beast with the Least, Archegent Everlasting, Caroline, Scott H. And our newest patron, Robin. Thanks for joining the ranks of the terrible book club patrons, Robin. And, of course, our Kofi donor, Lax Dodies.
0: All right. Well, uh, I guess check check out uh, Young God by Catherine Faw Morris if any of this sounded interested, interesting to you. Um, but otherwise, we will see you in two weeks with something wildly different.
1: <laughs> for sure. All right. <laughs> Bye, Paris.
0: Bye, Chris. Thank you for listening to another episode of Terrible Book Club. Terrible Book Club is an independent podcast produced by your hosts, Paris and Chris. Sound design and audio editing by Chris, with sound effects and music by Epidemic Sound and sometimes also Chris. Our theme song is Kiss by Yearn, which is, you guessed it, actually, also Chris. You can find more of his soothing synthy sounds on Bandcamp at yearn.bandcamp.com. Do you want us to review a book of your choice on the show? Do you want access to some extra audiovisual weirdness? If so, become a patron at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. If you'd like to send us a one-time tip instead, you can do that at ko-fi.com slash terriblebookclub. You can also support TBC for free by sharing the show on social media, following our accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Goodreads, telling your friends about your favorite episode or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or anywhere else on the internet. To send us book recommendations or your adorable pet photos, send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com.